Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles, turn to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. I love this book. I've loved it more as I've been looking at it uh, more frequently over the past few weeks. I've used some of these passages in the past. If you date your Bible, uh, you know you might say, hey, uh, 1-8 whatever that Pastor Derwin preached from here. And that's all right with me if you date them, but just don't be alarmed if I use a passage uh, uh, frequently. This passage today uh, gives us what I believe they found in captivity, and that was the blessing through the captivity. Now, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 3. And then I'm going to go back and make some reference to chapter 1 and also to chapter 2. And we're going to see how God continues uh, uh, giving them progress in His work. Remind yourself, if you will today, that what we are doing is not necessarily our work. Uh, We're involved in the Lord's work. And He is to get all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. Good to see each of you today. And uh, let's, as the fellows have uh, done this morning already in the prayers, let's pray for our community and all that is going on around us. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, you can follow along now on the slide or else with your Bible open. It says in verse 1, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together, as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases. For fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings their own unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. What a beautiful passage there. It helps me to see the priority of what uh, had become there with the people who had now went back to Israel upon the opportunity. They were able to volunteer to go back, Uh, many might have came from there previously as the uh, uh, captivity started, but there are many who are born, I'm sure, in captivity who have a heart uh, for their land uh, as uh, they see it. And we find in chapter 1, what I want to just simply remind you about is the connecting, I call it, of the lines. In verse number 1 of chapter 1, if your Bible is open, it said, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, who made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it in writing, saying, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. If if you have been with us over the last three weeks, uh, I know that you have heard that verse quite a few times. Why? Because I believe it is the key to the entire passage. 
Why would I say that? Well, first of all, it is how a vision or how a purpose uh, comes from the mind of God to the heart of man. Now, God quite possibly might be birthing in you something very similar today. This, uh, what we read in Ezra, was born in the mind of God. It was breathed there on the man of God, Cyrus. Uh, He is now uh, the... uh, Uh, One who is in control, he has control over the people's lives. Uh, uh, The Babylonians have been defeated. The Medo-Persians are in control. And now Cyrus is the guy who is calling the shots, might I say. But yet God intervened. uh, And in the mind of Cyrus, God breathed what I call this promise. It is then believed by the people of God. Why, they have heard now for the first time they can venture back home. They can go to their homeland or the homeland of their fathers. And now because of that, what we see in chapters 1 and 2 is a connecting, uh, I call it, of the lines. I used to tell you how that's the kind of uh, work that I loved in school, you know. I almost can smell the mimeograph smell that they would use uh, when they would reproduce those lines or reproduce those pages when I was in first grade. Now, you can probably readily calculate. That was a long time ago. I liked it. I could connect the dots. I might not could remember much else, but I could do that. Well, God is connecting the dots. And not only is He connecting the lines, but He's connecting the lives. Let me show you something in chapter 2, if you would allow. Now, if you read through chapter 2, you're probably going to be bored like I am when I read through that passage. Why? Because all of this genealogy don't mean a lot to me. But let me show you how significant it is to the Jew. In verse 62 of chapter 2, it said, These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore were they as polluted put from the priesthood. Now, friend, it was very significant. That is one thing that God had guarded. That is another thing that in the mind of those who were in leadership, that the, uh, that, that the means whereby to come into the priesthood was guarded well. And now one of the things that is established in chapter 2 is how that God is connecting the lives of the people back together. Chapter 3 of Ezra verse 8 said, Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the second month, Began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all that were come out of the captivity to Jerusalem. And the last sentence would say this, And appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Now if you're reading that, you're thinking, Well, they're fixing to really get busy. They're fixing to chisel stone. They're fixing to bring those resources on Temple Mount where the first temple was constructed, where the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. And now the heart of God, after 70 years or more, to have this rebuilt. And all of those who had volunteered to go back could go back. And that's where we are in this passage. Oh, my friend... Ah, it's so good, is it not, to see progress 
at the house of God. But not only to see progress at the house of God, but to see progress, what I call it, in the people of God. I have said quite often, and I am a firm believer in what I'm about to say again, it is easier to build buildings than it is to build people. Now when I say that, some of you might wonder if, uh, uh, what is he trying to go with there? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it is, says that we who are the ministers, that we uh, are being equipped uh, to equip the body there for the work of the ministry. Please, if you would, follow along with us now. I want you to see a few things in Ezra chapter 3, where it's where we'll spend almost the rest of our time this morning, okay? In Ezra chapter 3, the first thing I see is a united people, or a unified people, I call them, okay? Verse number 6 tells us in Ezra chapter 3, it says there, From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Now in those six verses, verse 1 says, When the seventh month was come, the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Now I want you to think about your family. Think about your workplace. Think about where you have been over the course of your life. Maybe you've played team sports. Maybe you've been involved in the life of a church. And, and I want you to think how precious uh, unity is, okay? I want you to think how that it is a, uh, really a God thing. When he can take, uh, someone have said, if you have more than two people, you have a great potential for controversy. Well, I'm not going to go there, but when you get into large groups of people, the Scripture reminds us, uh, not only in this passage, but it reminds us also in the first chapters of the book of Acts uh, that what was unique among people was unity. Again, remind yourself as you look at that, they were together as one man, as one man there, the Scripture said. What do they have in common? What are they unified over? Where they are and what they're doing? First of all, they were unified in purpose. Many times what we discover is once people have, uh, have, have established their purpose, and then they focus on that purpose, and they stay unified, what we discover is there's great potential for many great things to happen in the kingdom. However, I remind you that Satan the adversary is the one who always stirs up controversy, does he not? Someone asked me one time how many kids we had. I said, they, uh, we had two. They said, you need a third. I've told you this before, but I said, why? They said, two to fuss and one to tattle. Well, that might be true. Uh, I don't know what happens when you add the fourth one in there like a family I grew up out of, but uh, unified in purpose. Well, I'd like to give you the instances that I see throughout Scripture where the very thing that was most important to what those people were engaged in was how unified they were in what they were assigned to do. I commend you as a church. I thank you. 
for your willingness not to be selfish. And yes, when I say not to be selfish, I'm including me in that equation, the staff as well as all of you who sit on the pew. Why? Because it is not so much about those little things that we get divided over because that unity of purpose is the far greater thing that will carry us throughout the ages in which we live. Yes, unified in purpose. Not only that, but they were unified in person. Now if you go back and read chapter 2, like I've told you, you might get bored in that process uh, of reading. Let me remind you in chapter 2 verse 64, said the whole congregation together was about 42,303 score. And that is not even adding there, according to verse 65, the maids. It's not even adding the singing men. Uh, that is just a small synopsis of how many people it was to keep unified. Now folks, if you've ever... Uh, been a part of a local church that uh, was together concerning a building program. Yes, you know, that is a very uh, tough time. Again, you've been a part of a growing church. Uh, yes, not a building program per se, but there's the large influx of others. Yes, that's a tough time of growing. My legs and my Legs used to hurt, and Mama always told me that was growing pains. Well, maybe you could see that as well, but these people were unified. They were unified in purpose. Now we see they're unified in person. And I think that's somewhat, somewhat why we find in Scripture there that the Lord is careful to give genealogies, to give us a mental picture of how many people and how the distribution was among one another. Now, we were very thankful a couple of weeks ago, were we not? Why? Because our Sunday school numbers were growing. We were back toward 150-ish, 160 maybe. Our worship numbers were growing. Why? You know, lots more people. And lo and behold, this new strain of COVID has come. And uh, if you're not careful, what happens there is it tries to distract us, does it not? But let's not allow that. Why? Because God has a purpose for our life. And that's to reach other people. And because of that, what we do on the Lord's Day in our worship is something there that keeps us unified in person. Now, you say, possibly, well, I don't know all the people. Well, it's sure still a good opportunity to find that. Then we find, thirdly, they were unified in possessions. Chapter 2, verse 64 says, Again, 42,303 score people, servants, maids. There were 7,337 among them. There were 200 singing men. Can you imagine a men's choir, 200 strong? Wow, that's something to be gracious for. And it says they're singing men and women. They had 736 horses. 245 mules, 435 uh, camels, and then there's the donkeys that were 6,720. And friend, if you notice that, I'm just reading it for you to understand, there's unified also in possessions. If you look back in the book of Acts, 
the very thing that allowed the New Testament church after the ascension of the Lord Jesus to be able to touch so many people and so many people came to the Lord, one of the things that was very dominant in the life of that church was their unity. If you're here this morning and you're actually tuned in to the station I'm preaching from, so to speak, the very thing Satan would love to rob you and I of is unity. But this group of people didn't allow. They were there for this purpose. Not only were they a unified people, but I want to remind you they were a people there of the urgent. They were an urgent people. I call it first things first. Now, when I get there, I'm looking in verse number 2. It says in chapter 3, verse 2, Then would stand up Jeshua, the son of Josadak, his brethren, the priest, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Notice, they have been sent to, they have been volunteers, let me say, not they were sent, but they uh, became volunteers. And what God had moved the heart uh, there of Cyrus to allow is go back and build, but we have not seen any reference to the altar until now, have we? I would have think, and you might would think as well, that hey, when they get there, the first thing they want to do is prioritize getting the foundation laid for the altar. But that, I mean, getting the foundation laid for the temple, but that's not what they do. They get there, and what I believe I see out of this passage, I think is something that's greater than the buildings. And that is at first, if the altar is constructed and used properly, the rest of the things will take place as God ordained it. They were an urgent people. It tells me in that verse, they builded the altar of the God of Israel. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The heart must be right before the progress is even begun. The heart of this people, now this what, 30-something, 40-something thousand people, the heart of that people is understanding the necessity of the altar. At the altar, there was intercession made. At the altar, there was sacrifice made. At the altar was a place the people would come and they would meet God and God would meet them. And because of that, this is the first thing that is constructed. You know, we would like to think that what we're going through, and I'm just going to limit it to our local community right now, we would like to think what we're going through with the COVID experience, with some other issues that uh, prevail among us and permeate our uh, community, our county. You know, if you don't know what's going on, read the police beat in the local weekly newspaper. If you don't know what's going on, speak maybe to someone in law enforcement. If you don't know what might be going on in our community, speak to somebody like Brother Jim uh, who, who's serving there among uh, first responders. And what you would get is a very big glimpse of what's going on while we're sleeping most of the time. Friend, I want to tell you something. 
Sure is a time where we need to build the altar, right? Yes, why? Because of what's going on around us. As I looked at this passage, I was reminded of the priority of the altar. Why the priority of the altar? Well, verse 2 tells us, They builded the altar of the Lord God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. It wasn't just that Moses said build an altar. The pattern is that God had given that instruction way back in the time when the people, as they traveled over the desert land heading toward the promised land, they would build the altar. This morning as I woke, I thought, you know, where's the first time in the Bible that you see an altar? Abraham built them. We really believe that there was an altar somewhere in the Garden of Eden because the Lord made a sacrifice, did He not? And then He took that skin and He clothed Adam and Eve. Now you say, well, preacher, you're stretching your imagination there. I just tell you, it'd be a good time to understand the significance or the priority of the altar, the place of the altar. Amazing, isn't it? If you study the life of the patriarchs, as they would venture from uh, this area to that area, you would find one of the first things they would do is build an altar. You say, but preacher, I read about some of the things they would do, and man, they must not have used the altar a lot. But yes, there's a priority. There's the place of the altar. Maybe you have a significant place. Maybe you have a place in your home. Maybe you have a place in your yard. Maybe you have a particular place you call your altar. I'm not trying to get you to build you an altar today, but I'm trying to help you to see as well as myself the significance of the altar is a place we really need to have. See, they understood the priority in the place. They became the people of the altar. I will never look at this passage again in the same way. Why? Because for the first time in 45 years in my preaching from the passage, I see what their priority was. And that is a place where people could meet God and God meet people. Yes, I was telling the group in the first service this morning, if you would go to the Catholic Worship Center, you would find that they have their little kneeling uh, rail in front of them, and they can bend that over and they can kneel where they are. You say, Pastor, are you advocating that? No, but I'm not knocking it either. You say, oh, that's so much ritual. Well, I'm talking about relationship. But the significance of our place of worship, I think there should be a designated means of an altar. Not only the people of the altar, but the purpose. I actually did not share this in the first service today, but my mind yesterday and Friday was thinking about the community that we live in and the significance of much that is going on. And I thought, wouldn't it be great that if a worship center and a people like us could designate a particular place, put it on the marquee out front, 
and simply say, altar open. I would believe that there must be 5,000 cars or more. I forget what the last study was. We looked at those numbers some years ago. I would believe there would be 5,000, 10,000 or more that would travel by 301 Tomberlin Road every day. Now, what we could think about is about 500 reasons we couldn't designate even this room as a place of prayer for people to come in off the street and offer their prayers. Well, friend, I could give you one reason we should, and that is because we need the Lord. Yes, I appreciate the prayers of Clint and Jim this morning. Opens us to what's going up in our land, but also what's going on in the nations around the world. Can I tell you, this unified people, this urgent people, were an invigorated people that simply means they were revitalized, they were restored, they were refreshed. And man, this 40-something thousand people who come back to Jerusalem, yes, they had to focus on where they were going to live. They had to focus on all of those people who had not vacated the land in those 70 years. And the Bible tells us that because of that, they had some fear. But when they built the altar, it was a means whereby to overcome those anxieties that they had. They became an invigorated people. They definitely, as I preached last Sunday, got stirred up for the right thing with the right reason. I pray as we leave today in a few minutes that something that has been said or read or sung that we would go out a more visionary people concerning what the task is for us. Last as I close in verse number 6 of chapter 3, maybe your Bible is open. It says, From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But look at the last sentence. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. I remind you about the part that God gives me concerning that. They have an unfinished purpose. Friend, it is easy for churches, which is made up of people, Christian people, it is easy for us to become complacent people. We might even become calloused people. But we find everything positive about this group of people. And verse 6 just tells us that at this point, what they had went for was to rebuild the temple. And they have not yet laid 
the foundation. Now, it's probably hard for you to see on that PowerPoint slide, but there's two things of significance. Number one is the foundation plans. If you're building something, most likely, you know you have a plan. I know we have at least one architect in the building. And what we need to understand is usually those pages of plans has a foundation plan. I believe they had a foundation plan because I personally believe if I could just spiritualize this text a minute, that plan consisted of the altar. They knew the place they were going to build, and that place had to be leveled out amongst that stones, and they had to, again, lay the foundation. So as I look at it today, their purpose is to build the temple, foundation plans, foundation purposes. And as I see the passage... The scripture reminded me as I was reading over the past few days. The Lord tells us, do not build on sand. You remember the parable? I'm going to call it a parable. In the teaching of Jesus, he said, don't build on sand. Build on rocks. Build there upon a foundation that will withstand the storms. The writer of the spiritual said, what did he say? It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Another writer said, when the storms of life are raging, stand by me. As you bow your heads with me today, could you say, not to me, but possibly with me, could you say, I need to work on my altar. Yes, I believe we're living in a time that, de- that deserves and demands serious prayer. Lord, in this room today, many people. However, if there was only one person, it reminds us today that people need the Lord. As I look out, there could be some who are just learning that Jesus is who we need. We need Jesus in our schools. We need Jesus in our places there of work as well as keeping Jesus first in our worship. Lord, draw people to Yourself. Remind them that the means to a personal relationship with You is through sacrifice and surrender. 